Hello and good morning. Hi. Right, so this is episode 65. Yeah. And today we had a guest. We did. Uh, her name is Deborah Rankin and very kind of timely uh, for the moment because it's uh, January 21 for anyone that's listening to this in, in the future and everyone's still going through a bit of a stressful time of it. People are juggling homeschooling as well as working and all sorts of um, pressures that we're dealing with at the moment and Deborah is very much about avoiding burnout, um, something lots of entrepreneurs are guilty of because we all take on too much thinking we can conquer the world. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Well, she's also... Um... Also about healthy living, her background originally was dietitian and yeah. so on. And um, it was interesting to hear her thoughts about daily habits and practices. And Well, exactly. That, that's how she avoids burnout because yeah. it's, it's all about prevention and, and putting yourself first. So many mm. of us don't, don't do that. And just making um, like healthy habits the easy choice rather than something you have to do and making it like a... A dis well, it is a discipline, but making it a, a positive choice for yourself. Like, she actually calls it a gift for yourself, doesn't she? Yeah, it was. Yeah, she had some really interesting ways of relooking at things, yeah. and um, about how we, if it's for example healthy eating, how we often spend our time saying, "Oh, I'm going to eliminate this and eliminate that," yeah. or, and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, it was a fascinating chat, and um, and she's got a great book out, which uh, have a listen, and we'll go through some of that and some of the ten steps that she's got. Yeah, and also a quiz, which we actually didn't mention on the podcast because we she mentioned it after we'd finished recording, but she has a, a quiz for if you're kind of heading towards burnout. So we've included that on the show note links, uh, both on the podcast and the YouTube channel. Yeah, so enjoy. Hi, Deborah. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kate. It's so great to meet you and Lee in person. I've enjoyed feeling like I know a little about you from your podcast. So good to talk. <laughs> yes, and it's it's an early one for you today. It's, it's afternoon where we are, but it's quite early in the day where you are. Yes, I live in Denver, Colorado. So quite a few time zones from you. Yes, absolutely. Is it is it a cold one there at the moment? Um, it's not cold by Denver standards, 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I don't like cold weather, so it feels cold to me, but it's absolutely it's great. It's fine. I'm yeah. with you on that one. <laughs> so your business is all about helping people with burnout or in more ways than one kind of preventing burnout rather than kind of helping people that have already got to that stage. You're, you're very much about the, the prevention and helping people uh, have um, a healthy lifestyle when it comes to running a business. Absolutely. My background is in healthcare. I'm a registered dietitian, worked for years as a health educator. So I've worked in the hospitals and the doctor's offices and the clinics and then transitioned in the corporate world where I did uh, business to business sales and sales leadership for over 20 years. And then I went through a time period where I suffered a series of losses and had not been taking care of myself for years. I burned out, crashed and hit rock bottom and stayed there longer than I wanted to. And I realized, oh, I haven't been doing the things that I always used to tell other people they should do. 
So I had to learn to apply it to myself. And, and I think it's such a critical area for entrepreneurs because uh, entrepreneurs are high risk for burnout for a number of reasons. It can be bad for the business, but even worse for one's life and enjoyment. And isn't that why we take the path we're taking, which is yeah. to live the life we want. Absolutely. Yeah. And I th um, we were saying just before uh, we started recording that I, I, I think I said that uh, having you as a guest on uh, our podcast was so perfectly timed um, because one, it's so easy, especially in the current climate, right, with with all the general stresses that happens to this happening to all of us because of this strange 12 months we're in. Um, but also on a personal level, um, I got I got ill earlier mm -hmm. this month and um, nothing nothing severe at all. But it was it was enough to be a significant inconvenience to the point where I could manage it physically, but I was completely out of action. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think health is a very easy thing, both mental and physical is a very easy thing to think, OK, I'll just get these jobs done and then I'll get round to that at some point. And it, and it builds, it's a bit like Absolutely. lack of sleep, right? It builds up. It does. Absolutely. We all work hard. We have passion for our work and what we do. We push ourselves to do more and more. And just as you said, Lee, we think, well, when things slow down, I'll take better care of myself. Yeah. yeah. When do things slow down? <laughs> Well, if you're doing things right, then this year. <laughs> yes. And then, as you said, this year with the added stresses, I think it, it um, amplify, amplified any imbalances mm -hmm. or lack of care in our lives. And uh, healthy rituals became even more critical mm -hmm. because what else do we have to keep ourselves going? day-to-day, -day, week in, week Absolutely. out. So you said um, that in your own story, um, you um, didn't do the things that you tell other people to do. Um, and that's, you know, when, when you suffered. Um, why do you think that is? Because that's something that we all do. We all self-sabotage. We tell everyone else to do it this way, do it that way. And we don't do it ourselves. We don't take our own advice. Why, why do you think we, that would be? Good question, Kate. Um, I think the answer is probably different for different people. I think we're a very knowledge-driven economy. Do we think that if we know the right thing, that's what's most important? Mm, rather than and um, do we think that we're stronger, we're better, mm -hmm. we're more invulnerable? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, any of us who are leaders, writers, and I just lost your camera. Are you still with me? Absolutely. Yeah, we're still here. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe, I don't know if you can uh, cut this when you tape it, but yeah, I lost the video, so I just wanted to make sure you're still there. So <clears throat> all of us who are business owners or entrepreneurs or creators, we have a special something inside us, and, and we think we, we're in vulnerable because of that. But we all have emotional and physical needs. And every time 
we make a choice that causes us to neglect or ignore a physical or an emotional need, we nurture burnout. We plant a seed for burnout. It's interesting. And it's interesting that you've um, come through your personal journey and, and what you do now coming from a dietitian's perspective, right? Because there's a massive psychological link between how we consume and, and how we think and how we feel, right? There's a, there's a huge link between the two things and they're definitely not uh, apart. And coping mechanisms by through foods is something that I think we all have, whether that be alcohol or sugary foods or whatever it is, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a common fallback comfort. A lot of people have talked about gaining weight um, during COVID, um, drinking more than they used to do during COVID. So that's not unusual given the stresses. Um, what I'll say, and it's not because I'm stronger or better or wiser, I haven't gained weight during COVID. Mm -hmm. I haven't drunk more than in a normal situation. And I really credit that to the experience I went through my burnout four or five years ago uh, when I crashed and burned. I had to learn then to establish healthy rituals that nourished myself. And those things have served me well during this time. And that's really why I wanted to, to write the book to help other people. And I also wanted to get across the idea that living a healthy lifestyle is not a curse <laughs> that you have to endure, which sadly is often the perspective, I've got to do this. No, it's not a curse. It's not a punishment. It's actually a well of energy and calmness and mm -hmm. strength that makes your life better in all mm -hmm. ways. And the connection with what you uh, eat is so important. And I believe that from my background, I have two degrees in nutrition, but I think we also need to have a healthy attitude toward food. Mm -hmm. Food is not our enemy. Food is a way to nourish ourselves, to give sustenance. And so wellness and health is not what you give up, but what you embrace. And that's the different perspective I bring to the table. I really like that. I like the way you position that because it's, I think both the American culture and the, and uh, obviously we're from the UK have we, both cultures have quite a strange relationship with food mm. and um, and the commercialization of food. There's this, um, and there's not much thought given. It's all about speed and, and, and convenience and how easy, like just, and how it makes you feel in the moment you're eating it as opposed to a longer term view of food, right? Absolutely. And our, both of our cultures, I believe are, Quite a bit different from some other European cultures where food is more to be enjoyed. It's a more communal activity, something mm -hmm. that you take time to savor. And the other thing I would say, at least in the U.S., and you can tell me if it's like this in the U.K., quite often when someone in the U.S. talks about a new health endeavor, what you'll hear is, I'm going to give up this, 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 and this. And health becomes what you don't eat, yes. not what you do eat, mm -hmm. and how you enjoy it. And you build 
family and community activities around it and make it a social event, which of course it's hard to do right now. But in general, that's a very important part of health and wellness too, is your connection to other people. Yeah, you're, you're so right. Um, we're, we're currently um, in southern France and prior to ah. well, in, the, in the lockdowns, um, we, had a, we had a period in which they opened things up a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and it's quite common for uh, homes in the local community just to open up their, their I suppose you call them yards in, in America, but gardens and so on. And they'll invite the neighbours over and it's very common for them yeah. from 12 till 2, I think it is, isn't it? Midday through to 2 p.m. They'll put some yeah. food out. And the whole thing is about a social experience. Mm -hmm. It's all salads and fruits and, and meats and everything. But it's all... It's all local produce, isn't it? Local produce. But it's, it's all about the enjoyment of the food and, and the social experience. There's no rush. There's no... And, and to us, it, it was quite a strange experience, wasn't it? Because... Mm -hmm. It's certainly lunch in particular. I've well, they're grown... so protect protective, even apart from the social in France. They're so protective over their twelve till two lunch break. Yeah, even in their diaries, everywhere in the school, in you know everything anywhere shuts. you go, everything shuts between twelve and two because that's your time, as as you would say, to to nourish yourself and yeah. to look after yourself, and it shouldn't be rushed. Whereas in the UK, as adults. I remember, yeah, it's like grab a sandwich, carry on typing away. It's yeah. like food is, if anything, it's a bit of an inconvenience. It's like it's something you do in a bit of a hurry. Yeah. It's, um, it's quite, it's a, you're absolutely right. The difference, it's, I think that's something common to the UK and the US. But once you step into Europe and other countries, it's, it's a very different relationship. Very different, very wonderful. And yes, in the U.S., it's kind of like a badge of honor. Oh, I don't have time for lunch. I grab something from a machine or I, you know, I rush and have something at my desk while I work. But my, first, my last full-time job in the corporate world uh, involved working for a food company that was headquartered in Italy. And so on visits to the corporate office, it was so obvious the difference in the culture. At lunch, nice. everyone stopped work. There was an excellent cafeteria in the building. Everyone went downstairs, enjoyed a hot meal, and sat at tables and talked to each other. And um, no, at the US, we keep working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Actually, and you don't realize actually some good Sorry, Excuse it was my fault. Go ahead. Oh no, I was, I was no, just I saying that you don't realize. <laughs> Slight lag. Go ahead. I'll listen this time. <laughs> uh, I I talk too much at the best of times, so I'm going to shush, and I'm going to let, and you're the guest. I'm going to let you. <laughs> right. right. So you're the podcast host, and I've enjoyed listening to both you, Lee and Kate talk. So I could say this little bit, then listen to you. But there are actually some good studies that um, people who have strong social connections tend to be healthier and live longer, even if they ba have bad health habits. Phenomenal okay. data, and certainly. I'm not going to recommend 
smoking or being overweight or being sedentary, but there's actually some interesting data that says the people that have bad habits, if they're connected and involved with other people in a very meaningful way, um, they, they may maintain health more than one would expect. That's an interesting point. Good to know. Yeah. So what would you, um, so for our listeners out there, so a lot of the listeners that we have tend to be um, in business uh, or, or they might be um, furloughed at the moment and looking to create a business and uh, the, the, the juggling act of life, family, business and everything else, is, is, as we've already covered, the, it's very easy for your own personal health and everything else to slip away while you focus on all of these other things. What, with your clients and, and in your book, what are some of the strategies that you, you advise people kind of take on to help them navigate some of this? Okay, so my main approach is avoid what I call big step syndrome, which is a massive overhaul of what you eat, how much you exercise, how you live. That's very admirable to want to take on those big makeovers but there's a lot of internal resistance that our brain puts up to guard us from massive change so your best chance for success is going to start with small habits that you do consistently over time and then build on those so look for small sustainable rituals that you can keep up that start where you are. If you don't exercise, I'd be happy if you want to train for a marathon. If you enjoy that, go for it, it's great. But if you've never exercised, start small. Uh, many of my coworkers in the last company that I worked for, um, even though they didn't go together to eat lunch, they started walking at lunchtime. So start with something small and make it the easy choice. Structure your environment so the healthy choice is the easier choice. Mm -hmm. And how do you, because some, sometimes there are scenarios in which you personally, for example, I mean, we're, we're very lucky. We tend to think quite like about stuff or we'll discuss it and then and we'll both make the change. Mm -hmm. But obviously in some households, that's not the case, right? There's, there's, there might be somebody that wants to make some pretty significant changes in their lives or, or, or make these subtle adjustments and their other half might not necessarily be along, the right, along with the ride. So for example, I, if someone was to buy, I don't know if you get them in America. Do you get no. Vitis Digestives? No, it's an English No, <laughs> they're these biscuits. What? And if we have a cookies, cookies, okay, okay. they're cookies. <laughs> so yes. if we have a packet of them in the house, they won't last one day. They're, but they're about seven hundred calories in a pack, I think, or something like that. I will devour them. Wow. So we have a rule in the house: don't buy them. Yeah, don't we? Because I'll, I'll eat them all. Um, and luckily, we're in agreement on things like that, and you've got things like that as well, right? Yeah. But in some households, that's not that's not as easy, right? For somebody to be able to say, okay, I want to I want to start making these tiny changes. Uh, yeah, my other half or or whatever is constantly re putting these barriers in, or these 
hurdles in front of me. Have, have you experienced that with some of your clients and what do you tend to advise them in terms of how do you mitigate some of those issues? That's a really good question and a very complex situation. And certainly the relationship there is the root that would need to be addressed. How does one navigate different priorities in life? And ultimately, we are each responsible for our actions. So if the cookies are there, you're ultimately responsible. I hate to tell you that, Lee, but it's sadly true. But um, you can... So I can't blame you. <laughs> I mean, I can buy them all. <laughs> no. no, but thankfully you have a supportive uh, spouse. But um, those situations are always going to be there. Can an alcohol, does an alcoholic stop going to any event where alcohol is served? perhaps at yeah. some point in their treatment journey that may be wise but I have many friends who abstain and they go to parties and bars and drink water or juice because they've owned their own choices so I think owning your own choices is the first and then living in accordance with them so the person who doesn't want to eat the biscuit, um, is that the person doing all the grocery shopping for the family? Probably <laughs> not. Uh, <laughs> maybe so. Do you have a responsibility to, you know, basically, I'm, I'm not in a relationship or a marriage right now, but when I was, I bought what I felt was best for us to consume mm -hmm. as a family and sure if the other person wanted to come out go out and do something different he had that choice and I respected that but I did not have to enable his choices mm -hmm. and so so you mentioned earlier about first question is, pardon me Sorry, I was just gonna say you mentioned earlier that um, it's about making making the hard or the sorry not the hard the, the the more healthy choice easy and so what what would be your kind of tips on advice of designing your life or setting up your environment as you as you said to to make those choices easy i can give you three examples right off the top of my head um i have some trigger foods too and i have a i have a personal rule that I can eat anything I want. Nothing is absolutely forbidden, but I don't make it easy to eat the things that are not my top choices. So uh, for me, it's potato chips. Do you have potato chips? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We call them crisps, but yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you call them the same thing. Okay. So the same thing. I don't keep them in the house. Um, if I want them, if I crave them, I can go get them, but I go buy them in a single serve packet. So I eat that one serving, I don't eat the whole bag or the whole box. So mm -hmm. if you have trigger foods, buy them in single serve packets and don't keep them in the house. Um, I remember a time when I wanted to exercise more 
but I was suffering from an illness called vertigo that made it very hard to do. So I couldn't ride my bicycle. I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't do yoga, but I kept my walking shoes in my car. So every day when I passed a certain park where there were level paths where it was safe for me to walk, my shoes and my walking clothes were already in the car. So I didn't have to go home and change and come back out. I changed clothes in the car, but thankfully I was never arrested for <laughs> being you know, indecent exposure. So I made it easy. I was driving past this park every day. My shoes and my clothes were in the car. Then another thing that was probably the biggest change I've ever made in my life, but also the smallest, was to start drinking more water. So mm -hmm. even I knew, even though I knew how important hydration is, I hated to drink water. I hated it. So I started the habit. I had a very special mug. This one has a picture of my late dog, Thunder. It wasn't this one, but I had a special mug that I would set on my kitchen counter by the coffee pot every morning. And so every morning when I got up, that mug was there and it was a visual cue that reminded me to drink water before I did anything else. And so I did. And now I love drinking water. And because I drink water and I'm better hydrated, I don't crave sweets as much. So they all together. So the main thing is Adding on what is most important to you, what's the first area in which you want to grow and develop and start a small mm. habit. Because I, I, I remember reading something or hearing something some time ago that a lot of our food cravings are actually in direct response to dehydration. Uh, and that we it's not it's not that we need a particular food it's just that we just haven't drunk enough in that given day and we're compensating through so food true. so truly most of the time during their work day when you have a craving to eat something you're actually thirsty and don't acknowledge it so if you instead you drink a glass of cold water before you do anything else you'll feel less hungry the other big uh factor in food cravings is how much sleep you get. And that's mm -hmm. such a area for entrepreneurs and business owners who might work into the wee hours to keep the business going and then neglect sleep. But food cravings also increase when you're sleep deprived. Oh, and again, yeah. there are medical mm -hmm. studies that show that, for example, uh, women who have poor quality sleep and not enough sleep consume more calories and uh, of a lesser nutritional value so hydration or sleep are kind of the the underlooked uh, influences on our food intake mm. that's important for for mums as well that are juggling kids you know and especially when i remember when my two were tiny we weren't getting any sleep at all mm. and uh, yeah you you reach for all the the wrong foods <laughs> Oh, yeah. So it's so hard during those early years, but it's also important for the children to have good sleep habits. In America, childhood obesity is a huge health problem that we're very worried about. And many healthcare professionals are worried about what is our, 
our incidence of chronic disease going to be when children are becoming obese at an earlier and earlier stage? There are actually some studies that uh, young children, say in the five to eight to nine-year-old time period, who don't have regular bedtime routines and don't get enough sleep, have a higher rate of obesity as teenagers. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So for your parents, and I don't know you do a lot of work with parents and families, and I cite that study in my book. So, um, but yeah, to establish the habit and the ritual of a bedtime Mm -hmm. ritual and consistent Mm -hmm. hours of sleep for your children is a really good thing to do. I think we see that with Annabelle. I mean, she's, our our oldest is not, uh, she's not overweight by any means, but when, when she had, when we have kind of noticed, oh, she's putting on a lot, a little bit of weight, it has normally been around a period of time when she's not been going to bed on time and like summer holidays or something like that. Uh, Because she's she's a bit of a pickle for sleep. She doesn't want it. She, I mean, most kids don't want to go to bed, but she doesn't sleep in either, so she never makes it up. And uh, yeah, so that really kind of correlates with her. Yeah. And where do you where do you think the the changes would? Sorry, the question I'm trying to ask is: Is it? Do you think the problems? Because you mentioned children, childhood obesity, and things like that, and. I think a lot of the time, as a general public, and it's very easy for us to try and want to point at the monster in the room that's creating this problem, right? So some people will point to the corporations and saying, oh, they're putting too much sugar in their food. Some people will point to the schools and say, oh, it's because they're not educating the children around food. And then others will point to the parents and say, oh, well, you're not being responsible enough with your children. Um, Obviously, it's more complicated than that. But do you think that, because as a parent, it's a worry, right? As a, as a parent, it's like you want to shield your children from, um, I always use the analogy of the, if you have very young, if you, sorry, if you have very healthy children that have no, have not experienced any issues of managing weight as a child, it's a great reference point for them as an adult. Because when they put on weight as an adult, they remember how it felt as a child when they didn't have all that, they had all that energy, they didn't have weight issues and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's a nice, that reference point kind of lingers throughout the rest of their life. Whereas if they're fighting, they're having to fight weight at an early age, it becomes really kind of, they've never experienced real health and real fitness at any point. And so I, I suppose the question I'm asking is, do you have a, fear do you have an opinion or a feeling as to where some of these biggest influences are coming from whether it's the school the parents or the corporations or do you think it's just one big mash of the whole thing (laughs) i think we'd have to say that they all play a factor lee um i think that um outdoor play and exercise as enjoyed by the children, not in an organized sport scenario, is also important to recess time in school. Um, In the States, a lot of the schools have cut or restricted recess and playtime. So I think it's all there. I think for a parent, the most important thing to you, for you to do, is model good behavior 
yourself and what you do. The foods will always be there. The advertisements on TV will always be there, but you can restrict how much screen time your children have, which is an also an excellent practice. I firmly believe in that. Um, you have to guard against becoming a food police because um, eating disorders are also a concern. And so um, I, I don't want to see children raised with um, a prohibition or um, a lot of restrictions around food that they might resist too. So you have to do the best you can. And that's all any parent can do because it's a big job and an important mm -hmm. job. But I think if you model family dinners together on a fa fairly consistent um, way, there's a lot of great influence, uh, great research about the influence of family dinners and as a parent and now as a grandparent. I say in my book, look, Parents can do a lot wrong, but if you sit down together and share a meal with your children most days of the week, you're doing a huge favor to them. So model healthy foods yourself. Have dinner time together as a family. Enjoy your child. Encourage your child to get outside and play or exercise mm -hmm. or move if you can and um, limit screen time would be my four top. And then regular bedtime. So I guess those are my five top <laughs> suggestions. And in terms of uh, screen time that you mentioned there, um, for both children and adults, um, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the, the documentary on uh, Netflix, um, Social, I forgot what it's called now. I have um, not watched that yet. I want to, I've heard it's excellent. It is. Social dilemma. So that's the one, social dilemma. Um it, it, it's very good and it's it's nothing you don't know, to be honest, but it's just very much there in black and white and obvious and makes you think. Um but as somebody that deals with burnout and preventing burnout, would you say that screens play a big part in our mental health, both as adults and children, and social uh, constant flicking through Facebook and stuff is just not good for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. We need time to rest and refresh. And we deprive ourselves of that. If our first action in the morning is to check our phone and our last thing we do in bed at night before we go to sleep is scroll through social media or, or read websites. So um, I think a morning routine is also important to take some time to get grounded and centered in the morning to nourish oneself, to hydrate, to meditate or pray, to journal, and start out by really connecting with who you are as a person and your intentions for the day. And then, you know, we all have to connect on email, on social media. We're talking on a channel that will be, um, we're talking on a program that we post on social media. So there's a lot of good information out there, but again, manage the information and don't let it manage you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, very much so. So your book that you've referred to, um, firstly, can you, you tell our listeners what it's called so they can find it? And what, what are the key messages? Obviously, the things we've covered, is there anything we haven't spoken about that you also include in the book? So here is the book. The title is De-Stress Your Life, Turn Chaos into Calm. The easiest way to find it is to go to Amazon and just put my name, Deborah Rankin, in the search bar. It will pop up. So in my book, I highlight 10 anchors of healthy stress relief in your life. And uh, many of them we've already talked about. But I think the whole philosophy <clears throat> that I have I want to share is that a healthy lifestyle is not a punishment that you have to endure. Mm -hmm. It's actually a source of energy and calm and abundance so that you then can live the life you want. So don't look at it as something you'd have to take away or something you must do, but something that is a gift you can give to yourself to help you enjoy the life you've chosen. Yeah, I think that's so important, isn't it? Because it's so easy to slip into these bad habits. It's when you, when you were just talking about the, the family meals. I mean, we used to do that all the time and we've been terrible over the last couple of months that we eat together, but it tends to be on the sofa with the TV on rather than yeah. at the table. Yeah. And, uh, but it's so easy to slip into those habits. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so, yes, and, and that is so easy for all of us to fall into that habit. But there's a different way. And again, if you're eating in front of the TV every night, you know, pick three nights that are going to be your TV off dinner time. Start small. Yeah. Start with that and make a small step. So, so basically, we all just need to live our lives like it's the 1970s. <laughs> and, and we'd all have and a way better time, right? We'd all right? feel a lot happier. Yeah. We'd be outside more, we'd be out on our bikes, we'd be walking around, we wouldn't be watching screens, yeah. we'd be all sat around uh, the dinner table, we'd all be eating way healthier. We, it's like we all got it nailed, like they got the right way to live. 50 years ago. Yeah, a little while ago, and we just kind of messed it up a little bit. Yeah, those were not perfect times, but there was a lot to be said for everything you just described. And you know, that's the way I grew up. I grew up in a small town. There wasn't much to do. My friends were outside playing all day long. Mm -hmm. Now, we lived in a small town where it was safe to do that. And frankly, for many families and parents today, that's a concern. But um, you know, that, I was telling my children once, you know, I grew up in the old days. When I grew up, there were only three channels on the television. And it all stopped at midnight. And and they were like, you know, shocked and their jaws were dropping. They were like, and children, when we wanted to change the channel, we had to get up and walk across the room. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and when we went, yeah, they were like, what? What? <laughs> And it's like, and when we went somewhere and, and we have garages 
most house, many homes in the U.S. have garages, not all, not those in the city, but certainly many in small towns. And so when we went somewhere and we came home in the car, someone had to get out of the car. And we had to do that. Push the door open. <laughs> <laughs> and then also mowing the yard. I mean, yeah. I was a girl, but my, my older brother was grown and off to college by then. So I actually had to move, mow the yard, which like was pushing this heavy machine back and forth to cut the grass. So, yes, but um, my family was not perfect either. And my mother was not a great cook, but my mother fixed dinner every night and we sat down together and ate. So. Um, I mean, I remember, I remember as a kid, well, I remember as a kid, just everything was way more physical. Maybe everything about going from A to B, everything you did was very active. Like I, I, I've said to you that my mother used to say, if it was 9am on a Saturday morning, she'd look at me and say, why are, we, why are you still in the house? Get out of the house. And, um, <laughs> yes. and it was like, oh, yeah, I'm off. I'll go see if my friends are around. Um, but the... But that was the way it was back then. Yeah. And now the conversations we have with our children is, is about, oh, well, should they, we, we need to make sure they don't go onto this app on yeah. that device. And, and there's that type of parenting now. And, and, and keeping them off screen. I, I find keeping them off screens in the morning for as long as possible. Gosh, because yeah. if they go on them, getting off them is just murder. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so it it's stopping them getting on it in the first place. But I think we're the same as adults. We're exactly the same as adults. Yeah. It's, it, we, we have this thing where we, we kind of, I suppose it's the same with food, right? It's, you have these rules for everybody else that you don't apply to yourself. You, you kind of let yourself have all of these hang-ups and things that effectively corrupt your own mental and physical health. But you wouldn't dream of letting your children do those things. Well, it's the dopamine hits as well, isn't it? I think yeah. that's a lot of what we're yeah. fighting with these things and also with convenience foods and things yeah, is. is these dopamine. Yeah. It is, and once you start, it is easier. It is difficult to resist, which means structure your environment so it's not so easy to to start. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, put your phones away so they're not easy to get to. And you you know, as parents, you control what devices your children have because you're paying for them. So Mm -hmm. you can have some influence in the environment. And when my children um, were at home, we didn't have. they did not have cell phones and there weren't the apps, but we certainly had a computer. So I made some very tangible decisions. I never mm-hmm. allowed my sons to have a computer in their bedrooms. I never allowed them to have TVs in their bedrooms. We had mm-hmm. one computer that was in the dining room so I could see when they were using the computer and what they were doing when they yes. were on it. You know, if mom's going to walk by and look over your shoulder anytime she wants to, it has, you know, hopefully it was helpful. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, we, but, we. Um, and, and both. Yeah. yeah. And with my, my granddaughters, um, their parents are very restrictive about um, screens. And um, this year, of course, with school at home, they, have to be online quite a bit but for entertainment outside of that it's very limited mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so, and again, when my sons were young, I allowed them to watch one half hour of TV a day. So they could come home from school, watch the show they selected, but only for a half hour. And then if the TV was off, to your point, Lee, they were more likely to get out of the house and go play with their friends just because what else was there to do? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely notice that with with our two it is when we do restrict things, there's certainly the beginning of the restrictions, there's there's definitely a lot of kicking off. There's definitely a lot of noise and drama that happens as it happens. But within about half an hour, it subsides and then they get something else and it's forgotten. They're mm -hmm. off doing something else. It's just going through that pain. I suppose it's the same with everything, isn't it? It's, it's when you mm -hmm. pull the Band-Aid off or whatever you whatever it is, it's very uncomfortable in the moment well, and then things change. Isn't it? It's, we've spoken about discipline on many of our podcast episodes. And like you said, like going back to the water that, you, you know, you could have although you made it easy for yourself, which is, which is key by having the cup there and things like that, it was still down to you to make the decision that I'm going to do this and I'm not going to enjoy it for the first time, few times I do it, but it's, it's good for me. And in your words, it's, it's a gift to myself. It's my health. Um, and then it becomes easier. And I think if you can just get over that first hurdle, then, then you're kind of on the right road. And it does become easier and you feel better. And I noticed that I did start feeling better when I drank more water. And then I did notice, as you said, Lee, sometimes in those middle of the day snack attacks, when I drank a water, a cup of water instead, I, I wasn't so hungry. So if you do it, you'll notice uh, benefits that you like. Yeah. And, and you mentioned again, journaling I don't as well. Keep, uh, Yes, I love feeling, but I was just going to say on the fluid, um, I don't keep, I, I used to love to drink Coca-Cola. I loved it. And I loved the real thing, the one with sugar, not the artificial sweetener. But I don't keep it in the house anymore. So mm -hmm. if it's not there, and I don't have juice or sweetened syrupy drinks, you know, yeah. there's water. It's always here. <laughs> I was just going to say on the journaling side journal? of things. What do you think about that? Um, yes, we do. Um, and the reason I was I was going to bring it up was because you just said that um, you know you noticed that you felt better with the with the water, and I bet that that was something you probably journaled about, noticed in your journal. And I think keeping a journal or a diary is is so key to noticing these improvements in our lives and these changes because sometimes you don't always life goes by so fast you know that you don't always notice those things unless you're kind of tracking it absolutely and i think it's important in your journal to to list the positive things you've accomplished today to cultivate the optimistic, encouraging thoughts. Of course, you'll write about other stuff too because it's a helpful tool to let out fears and frustrations and anxieties. But the very first journal I started was a gratitude journal where I was mm -hmm. very busy and it was a very difficult time. And I was very unhappy and I wasn't very positive. And uh, a friend gave me a book that recommended a gratitude journal. So my very first journal, which was over 20 years ago, I just had a journal where every morning I wrote down five things I was grateful for. Wow. Wow. <laughs> did that change? Did that have an impact? 
Yeah, so that's a very simple thing. So perhaps many of your listeners are protesting, I'm so busy, I have so much to do. I don't have time for that journaling stuff. Well, maybe you don't right now. I can believe that and accept that. But you have time every morning to have a notebook where you write down five things you're grateful for. It's a list in five words. You can do that. I promise you if you start that, you'll see an impact on your mindset and your mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I do, isn't it? I, I changed my morning routine uh, six weeks ago now. Might be longer, yeah. Um, and because because I have a had a had I say had because I do slip occasionally <laughs> um, a very bad morning habit of checking my emails and my Facebook. But yeah, I swapped that for um, what I've I've called my morning routine. But first is five things that I'm grateful for: um, four affirmations, um, three wins from the previous day, two intentions for, for that day, and then just a positive statement and. Um, yeah, I, I love doing that. Each well, day. I noticed the difference. <laughs> like there was a definite difference in your your whole demeanor for the rest of the day. Yes. It was like we would get as as is this weird time we're all living through at the moment. You get you get curveballs thrown at you that would never normally ever appear, <laughs> and um, and but you you were managing them in a way that was way more optimistic. Um, and and productive, I would mm-hmm. say, than than when you weren't doing that practice. Yes. So, not that you were awfully like <laughs> depressed or something before that point, but but you get my point. Yes. It, it, it it kind of it acted like a really good foundation for you, and it's helped, yes. I think, throughout, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Wow, that is so wonderful, Kate. What a great story that you have <laughs> felt a difference yourself, and that Lee can attest to that yeah that's that's great and again that's that's a very uh that's a system and you have a guideline to go by so it's fairly easy to do but it probably doesn't take that much time i would guess no no 10 15 minutes yeah not long well i think the other thing is time does pass so quick i mean we're noticing this with this podcast in in uh obviously we do we do daily episodes but we're constantly shocked at we think we're talking about an episode that happened yesterday. And then when we sit down and go, no, 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 no. That happened five episodes ago or six episodes yeah. ago. And you realize that the passing of wow. time is so fast. And I suppose that's one of the blessings of having children is because they're a constant reminder of how fast time is passing, right? So mm-hmm. whereas when you don't have that that blessing, then um, and once we become adults, uh, unless something dramatic changes, we don't really change that much until we get significantly older. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, journaling definitely is a constant reminder of that passing of time, um, and screens and bad food and doing exercise and all this kind of stuff. Just if anything, just speeds that time up. Yeah, well, you don't realise how much you're on a, a screen, do you? A lot of the time. God, no. Yeah. Oh, no, you can pass an hour without even noting it. Exactly. And is that the best, is that the way, if you were making a choice at the beginning of the day, is that the way you would choose to spend that hour? No, yeah, very much so. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you often don't feel better for it. <laughs> no, I think it's insidious. Yeah. I think it's I think we're, it's hardwired into our um, our behavioural patterns. I think something they've managed to work out a way of getting. It's a bit like when you see one of the things that I, I'll always remember. I've never smoked, but I've always I always remember um, a friend of mine quitting smoking, and and him saying to me the hardest thing about quitting smoking is not the cigarettes it's the act of picking something up and putting it in my like the, having something in my hand mm -hmm. having something between my fingers right. and doing the motion that's i've trained myself to do that yeah for for years and now i'm yeah. i can't i haven't I can't, i've got nothing to do it with yeah uh, uh i suppose that's why people put on weight right. and all sorts of But once you've left that behind, what a great difference it makes. Um, I yeah, have a yeah, friend yeah. who quit smoking cold turkey after smoking for over 20 years. And her comment was that she wasn't aware how good food tasted because wow. her ability to perceive flavors was so impacted by the effect of the smoke on her nose and mouth. So it's kind of like the drinking water. It's it's um, it's a change that has big impacts in many areas of your life. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you this afternoon or this so morning. Fun talking to you too. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you again for letting me have the privilege to speak with you on your podcast. Well, I'm definitely going to change some habits, I think, yeah. <laughs> and set up life to make them easier. And um, we'll we'll put a link to the, your book uh, in our in our show notes so that people can go and find your book um, and um, make some changes for themselves. Thank you, thank you so much. Keep me posted on how it goes. I'll be following you on your podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, we, we've got a way to go yet to get to our 365. But, yes. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep you updated. <laughs> Have a great rest of your day. Thank okay. you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.